This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You know, I have a young friend that is is coming up in the industry, and his name is Cody Pierce, and he is in Fort Myers. And he is kind of, you know, reaches out to me and as well as other couple other uh, professionals that he knows, and and he kind of does, but it's a grind. You know, it's everything's a grind. You know, it's it's find your niche. I think that's important with any guide. Uh, find your niche. You know, whatever that is, and and go from there. Hello, I'm Will Taylor, and this is Tom Rollins podcast. So. On my story, there's an opportunity to ask questions, and I got a ton of them, and we're going to use Will Taylor also as a somebody that can help answer some questions. So, Will, what have you been up to? Weathering the storm since, I, since we met, you know, it's been great for us, and just trying to figure out how to manage the influx of individuals that want to fish with us. And, and you're balancing that with also um, <laughs> a 16 month year old uh, baby girl and a wife and, and two other businesses and a million other things. Right. So yeah. what is that yeah. like for you? It is, it's very difficult. I had to, uh, we had me and my wife had to sit down and, and develop a structure, uh, come up with a structure for our lives. And, and we, I think we figured it out. So we'll see how it goes. You know, it's something that uh, we're learning and I think you have to, adapt with growth with everything and that's what we're doing but yeah it's interesting it's like anything and i come to you and 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 ask for uh friendship advice and mentor advice and everything so you know it's it's it's, well so as far as what are you finding the most difficult thing is about having the extra person that now lives in your house not knowing when to quit uh working yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is that is a super fine line. It is. And and you know being self-employed, uh you never really clock out. I don't know if that's a thing, but you know, you're always working. You know, you're always doing something, you're always uh you know and then of course I have my seasons with fishing, so I have to manage that as well and and being away away from my family has been the hardest part about 
about fall season, and I've never been away from my family at all, really. Yeah. So being away from them for this season has been has been a learning curve, but uh, we're making it. We're doing great. I just yeah. got really smart here and decided I was going to take a picture of these things, these questions. But anyway, so we ask. Um, I asked some questions on, uh, or I I gave people an opportunity to ask questions. And we're just going to go through these. So the ranger angler, if you had to choose one fish to catch for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's a tie between big snook and brown trout. Really? Yeah. I'm going permit. You're always a permit, though. Permit, um, bonefish or tarpon. And between the three. If you weren't in the Keys, what would it be? Mm, you know, I like trout, you know, and, and of the trout species, probably I got a soft spot in my heart for cutthroats, except that they live... They live in places where it gets super cold, so I don't want to. I don't want to isolate myself there. I already tried to spend the winter in Wyoming, and I ended up in Key West. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to spend the winter in Wyoming. I want to spend. So I'd have to say rainbow trout. Rainbow trout are Rainbows. available all over the world. They are. You can fish for them year round. You can fish for them in warmer lo- locales. So if it wasn't permit, and I had to choose a freshwater species, I think it would be rainbow trout all right that was a good question so one artificial bait to use for the rest of your life everybody's into the rest of your life Mm. old two chins over here wants to know (laughs) only one artificial bait to use for the rest of your life what bait do you choose i mean are we going fly or we going conventional it's an artificial bait jesus just one just one for the rest of your life you're gonna have to break that up in categories it's got to be either fly or okay one fly one fly all over the world I don't know. I know what it is for me. Classic booger. The woolly booger. That's what I was going to say. Classic booger. Because you could catch anything. Anything. You could alter. You could alter it a little bit and make it a little different, and you could probably catch just about anything on a on a woolly booger. So a woolly booger would be the fly, and then for the bait, either a soft white plastic or a spoon. Yeah, that's those are both good good choices. What I would choose is a traditional bass tube. And a lot of people don't fish those anymore. But in my opinion, that is the most versatile soft plastic because you can rig a tube completely weedless. You can rig a tube on a jig head or you can rig a tube like they fish them wacky and they fish them just with a just with the just head hooked, you know, mm-hmm. and you can jerk that along like a jerk bait. You can make it fall and look like a shrimp. Mm-hmm. You can make it look like a crawfish. Mm-hmm. You can basically, it's like the woolly booger of, mm, I'm going to say kind of like a, a brownish kind of Coca-Cola color. That works. Tube White. it is then. So I know to go fishing with you. I'm just bringing tubes. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we fish the redfish tournaments, man, we fish those tubes all the time. It's just one of those things that you could... uh you could fish in just so many different ways, and you could rig it so many different ways that it becomes the most versatile soft plastic, I think. And and uh, so you can fish it where there's weeds. You can fish it where there's, you know, whatever. Saltwater, freshwater, redfish, bass, trout, everything eats a tube. Favorite post-fishing libation. Boy, this is more in your wheelhouse than it is in mine. <laughs> it depends. 
Uh, it's tacos for me, man. Tacos? Yeah. God, you and the tacos. You were all about tacos the last time we did a podcast. You you weren't kidding. South Texas, man. Hearts in South Texas. (laughs) It's just the way I told you. That's really, you would My wife gives me a hard time. I I mean, then what? What else is there? Then like some kind of one of those beers where you have to wear skinny jeans and a flannel shirt to drink it? I don't need, no. I mean, I don't need to chug a beer to feel good about myself. I I tell you what, though. Pork taco would be real good. Pork taco? Carnegie Sala. Okay. Barbacoa. I'm going to say 100 burpees. A hundred birds. You're an animal. <laughs> You're an animal. What time uh, is that? Is that like? Is is this? This is right after you. I don't know, man. I'm just. <laughs> so I'm eating. I don't. I don't drink. It. I don't drink. I don't so. really drink either. No, I, I really don't. I, it's just one of those things where I don't know. I don't know. You just don't. You don't drink much, or no. you don't drink at all. Don't you really drink. At I don't all. drink at all. I don't drink at all. Um, Turner Roland One says, uh, "Big gulp, huh?" Oh yeah. <laughs> so do you know where that comes from? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it's dumb and dumber it is it is he walks out and he goes big gulp huh big gulp huh well <laughs> see you later <laughs> so it's always uh, nice to hear from your from your son uh, best flamingo rod in Rio for snook and snapper that's you your probably, house buddy I would say you're a big one piece guy for well um, are we talking fly rod or spinning rod well, so I'm gonna about. go with with uh, spinning rod first and I'm going to choose either a St. Croix Mojo, which is a little softer and, um, and, and a little bit slower rod, or one of the extreme inshore series, which is the white one with the, with the little different looking handle. That which one's is a new super handle. fast. Mm-hmm. So if I was looking, if I was a, an angler that liked super fast, and if I was an angler that liked to cast up under the mangroves, that's when I would like a super fast rod. If I wanted um, six, six, something, six. no, I'm a seven foot guy. Right. I like seven feet, and I do not particularly like seven six, uh, especially if I'm going to be throwing under the bushes and skipping under the bushes. So I'm going to go with a seven foot either Mojo or Legend inshore, and uh, and that's the Saint Croix, and then I'm going to put it put a Daiwa Saltus 3000 on it. That's what I'm like. And then, you know, 15 pound uh, braid and a fluorocarbon leader. And then for a fly rod, I'm going to say a nine foot, nine weight. Sometimes that's going to be a little light for some of the snook fishing. Sometimes it might be a little heavy for others, but that's your, that's your kind of go-to, I think, um, with a floating line. What do you think about that? One piece, four piece. To me, it doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, St. Croix has this interesting rod now, uh, the sole, and it's, uh, it's a two-piece, kind of. It, it's seven feet long, and then the tip comes off. So it's kind of cool because the, the seven-foot rod, you can ho- hold it and carry it with all your spinning rods and uh, not break the tip off, right? Uh, so a conventional guy. Yeah. yeah. Like if you've got if you got a handful of spinning rods and you got a 9-foot fly rod, you're just looking to break the <laughs> just fly looking, rod. Just looking to break you know? it. And if you've got just like when that's why that particularly I, I think that's why I don't like the um the 7 and a half foot spinning rod because most of my rods are 7 feet and then I go to cram them in the truck and I break the tip on the 7 and a half footer. But I think that's kind of interesting that new new rod that they have it comes with two tips. Well, that's right. You fish that. What's your biggest sea trout? Do you catch sea trout? 
Um, I did in Texas. Uh, I lived in. Uh, well, that's Ro- where they're big. Mm-hmm. I lived on uh, Copano Bay for many years uh, in Lamar, Texas, which is outside of Rockport, Texas. Yeah, and we have some pretty decent little gator trout from time to time. Um, at the time, I wasn't heavily fly fishing for them, but um, yeah, just like anything else, jigs and soft plastics and shrimp and under poppers and hmm. you know whatever else. And my biggest probably. 28, 28 and a half, something like that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, that was a, that's a big, but they're, they're big out there, man. Yeah. They're not. That's the thing in Texas. It's funny how as you move from, from places in Florida to Louisiana over to Texas, it's funny how regionally mm-hmm. the anglers are way into trout or not at all into trout mm-hmm. and way into redfish or not at all into redfish. But the trout fishermen, I, I mean, when I think of trout, I think of, uh, I think of, uh, Texas. Yeah. That's where I, you know, although there's some great trout fishing in Florida. For I've, me, I've never caught any big trout in Florida, but maybe that's just because I haven't, you know. I've never caught a big trout, really? period. My, in fact, my freshwater trout are bigger than any saltwater trout Same that here. I've caught. I, I really just have never been on a really good sea trout trip. And uh, certainly Key West is not the best place for that. All right. What's the best bait for targeting bridge tarpon in November? That's an easy answer. It's going to be a well full of pilchards, for sure. And lucky for you, the cold front just brought a bunch of pilchards into the uh, onto the ocean side of the Florida Keys. So uh, if you see birds diving, probably pretty good chance. But then you take that well full of pilchards over to the to the bridge, anchor up, and start start throwing them out. And if the tarpon are there, you're going to see them really quick. I'm sure you could probably catch them on mullet and stuff like that. But also in November, typically the size of the tarpon goes way down. So if you're using a pretty full-size mullet, you might not have every tarpon in the area coming up for it. So I think the pilchards are better. Uh, you want to come to Sebastian and fish with with me? Yeah, I would. I, I know a lot about Sebastian Inlet only in hearing it from my friend who tells me that Sebastian Inlet is just an amazing uh, place to fish. So yeah, I'd like to do that. That'd be cool. Uh, have I ever, have you have you ever fished in New Jersey? I haven't. I have not. So Osprey seventy five. Yeah, I bet that's interesting. Yeah, haven't fished in New Jersey, but I think that there's some good striped bass fishing there, and that'd be pretty cool. Would you be interested in speaking at a UF a UCF Real Knights Club meeting? Sure. Absolutely. Shoot me a, an email and let's see if we can get that together. You can email podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. So do you still guide? If so, what's your favorite fishing to do with clients? So I don't really guide anymore. I have to, um, it's pretty much a full-time job just to do the the show and everything. But I do like catching permit the best. And uh, what about you, Will? Do you still guide? I still guide. My wife gives me 100 days a year, and that's it. And so what's your favorite <laughs> fish? Favorite fish to guide? Yeah. Browns, man. I thought that's it was tiger name. trout. Eh, you know, they're far and few between, but browns are, I mean, that's, it's just one of those universal fish that everybody can relate to, and that it just, everybody has a passion for them, even though they've never even caught one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I know, I there is a good question on here for you. I saw it earlier. I got a question over here. Oh, you do? What is it? Uh, let's see. We said from... J. Deet Mani. Yes, I don't know. The third. J. Deet Mon, the third. Okay. Found a big school of reds. 
crushing bait on a super low tide this weekend at Goodland. Threw everything we had at them, and they wouldn't need. I guess we needed a fly rod, or you needed Tom Rowland on your boat. Nah, well, I've, I've, <laughs> huh, I, I don't. That's interesting that you found a school crushing bait, and they wouldn't eat what you were throwing because they're obviously eating something. So my my first thought would be that whatever you had was either bigger or smaller than what they were looking for. That they were um, they were eating something different. Because they're obviously eating. I've had a lot of problem with redfish in Florida that uh, you find them and they're not eating anything and they're not eating anything that we're throwing either, especially in that Fort Myers area. Whew, boy, those fish, they can be harder to catch than any permit in the Keys. They can be really, really, really incredibly hard to catch. But I don't know, man. I guess I guess the trick would be uh, just keep keep trying some different different type things where is that article or where is that that thing here's one from sport fisher who i know very well and i'm really laughing hard at this uh at this question because sport fisher is john landry and john landry kept is a is a very good guy now in alaska and spent some time in florida sport fisher s-p-o-r-t F-I-S-H should follow him on Instagram. He's got a great Instagram. And when he came fishing with me, his dad was somebody that gave everybody kind of a hard time, but he inspired us to have a little competition together. And we were going to have a pancake eating contest. And John was a young man at the time. So I felt pretty confident that I could eat more pancakes than him. And I don't know if I could now, but we never actually got to have the pancake eating contest. And here, 20 years later, he asked me this thing that didn't exist then. <laughs> How many pancakes can you eat? How many can you eat? One more than he can. That, that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> one more than he can. I want to get John to tell me how many he can eat first, and then it's going to be one more. Are you going to go hunting with deer meat? Man, I want to go hunting with deer meat. I've really enjoyed having a podcast with him. He's a really good guy, and uh, I want to do the gator hunt. We talked about doing a gator hunt. Go. Definitely want to do that because that gator mate looks pretty tasty. You ever caught a gator on top water? No. Well, yeah, I haven't actually caught it. I hooked one. Right. And luckily it got off. I wanted it to get off because once it it uh, it it ate, I didn't really want it on there anymore. But <laughs> Somebody once told me that their trick is like their nose sticks out like this and the end of their nose comes up and then the, usually there's a little dip right here and then here are their eyes like mm. this. And if you can pass the fly across this area, they'll eat it every time. Every time. Every time. Or right? your fish every time. Or whatever yeah. comes across this area. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can put it right out in front. They don't always yeah. eat it. But if you cross between their eyes and their nose... They eat it every time. And so I was like, I wonder if that's true. And I threw over there, and it's true. It's true. It was for that one. You lose a $5 fly pretty quick. Yeah, $5 fly. You could lose Four and a quarter. your arm. Or anything. Um, how do I get swole? Oh, uh, well. 5 a.m. workouts. <laughs> I like, I like that question. That, one question of my friends. that question's great. Yeah. It's one of my, friend, my, my son's friends. You want to get, get swole, swole, you work out a lot, and you eat twice as much, and you sleep more than you think you should when you're 20 
Mm, anytime, really. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, some so training how do you, how questions. Swole, man, how do you get swole, man? How do you get swole? You you work Are you out a BSN a lot. athlete? I don't. I don't know. What, I don't what know. Is that? It's some supplemental company. My whole yeah. food athlete. That's all that matters. Your breakfast was ridiculous at Whole Foods once in the morning. I, I, I got to tell that story real quick. So I offered to buy you breakfast. Remember that? Oh. And you were like, no, man. You're you not the first one to, to fall <laughs> and for you're that like, trick. No, you don't want to buy me breakfast. And I was like, no, I'll buy you breakfast. And like $27 later, you're like, you don't need to buy me breakfast. Yeah, man, I told you. Somebody else did that one time and it was $30. <laughs> Like, how many by, eggs do you way. have? I know. It's, I don't know. It's still, it's, though. <laughs> must have been in a bulking phase. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you get swole? You work out a lot and you eat a lot. That's how you get swole. Eat a lot. Why CrossFit instead of bodybuilding? That's, um, that's hmm. a good question. So, I don't know. I guess I did uh, bodybuilding-type workouts when I was younger and in high school and stuff like that. And then um, I find CrossFit to be really... Uh, more interesting. You can compete with people right there with you or online or even things that they have done in the past. So like say there's a there's a workout, a standard workout called uh, Fran. Fran is uh, 21 thrusters, which is where you, you have a bar. You go with 95 pounds, you go down into a full squat, you come up overhead and uh, and you do that 21 times and then you do 21 pull-ups. Then you do 15 of those and then 15 pull-ups and then nine of those and nine pull-ups. So if you have a pull-up bar and a 95-pound barbell, you can do that workout. And if you have a clock, you can determine exactly how long that takes you. So whether you did that 10 years ago or whether you did that uh, in Afghanistan or whether you did it in your backyard, you can kind of compete with people. That's what drew me to CrossFit was that you could you could not only compete with other people, but you could compete with yourself, and you could do these little checks of these these workouts, and you could make sure that that you were staying in as good a shape as you once were, and it was measurable and repeatable, and and I don't know, there was a little competition, and I really liked it. So I don't know that I, I stuck with it a lot longer than I stuck with the bodybuilding type workouts. So that's really what it, fitness is all about is is finding something that you like enough that you can stick with for a long time. I got, speaking, a qu- I got a question here. Okay. If you could do a podcast episode with anyone <laughs> in the world, who would it be? Anyone. If I could do a podcast with anyone in the world. Dead or alive. Man. I'd really like to do one with Tony Robbins. I would really like to do one with, I don't know, man. He'd be, he'd be right there at the top. I'd like to do one with Conor McGregor. Yeah, man. Um, let's, let's set that up. Set it up. Let's set that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think Tony Robbins would would be an interesting person to talk to. I think. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I, I, it's hard to think about just one person that I would want to do something with. Now, speaking of working out, this guy Peter Akins asked, "Have you ever caught a giant bluefin tuna, and would you want to?" So. <laughs> If you want to talk about working out, that would be a workout. Like a thousand pound bluefin tuna, that's a real fish. That is, in my opinion, maybe the most badass fish in the whole ocean. I haven't ever caught one. I wanted to. We had it set up. Well, I was going to go to um, that area. What's it called? It's the little island um, that, they, that they do all the, all the bluefin tuna fishing. 
gosh, somebody, somebody will tell us, shoot, I can't remember, you know, Nova, Nova Scotia area. And, uh, there's a, there's an Island up there that that's where they, that's where they go. That's the, the bluefin tuna capital of the world. And, uh, Man, I, I cannot believe I'm spacing it. Anyway, I had it set up and we were going to go up there and it just kind of fell apart and we were going to go up there and do a show and it just never really worked out. But I started training for it. I really did. I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to have to do this, I'm going to need to um, get stronger and did a lot more squats and was really... um was really thinking about like, what's it going to take to land one of these fish? I mean, you could get one of these huge ones. And, uh, I think fitness would be a, a big determining factor of whether Prince or not Edward Island. Prince Edward Island. There yes. You go. That's it. Thank you. you Shadow cast red fly and Robbie Lance something and everybody else. Um, Prince Edward, <laughs> of course. And, and what, you know, when you ever, do, when do you ever do that? You're probably not old enough yet, but I'm my brain, my brain goes, bad like that like something that i've said or heard or or written thousands of times you, you just can't remember it sometimes i think i'm having a stroke um <laughs> but prince edward island is one of those things where i know prince edward island and i can't believe i'm spacing it but that's where we were supposed to go and um anyway so yes i would love to do it i think that that is one of the remaining dinosaurs on this planet and i would love to I would love to see it. I don't even know if I need to catch one. I would love that whole thing where they're feeding them off the side of the boat and you literally see a fish that is almost the size of that wall come up and eat, you know, basically something the size of a mullet right next to the boat. To me... Are you hand cranking that? I guess. But to me, like the whole act of catching it and everything like that, that would be super cool. But if I could just get out on one of those boats and just see that whole hand feeding thing, that would be enough for me. That would, I, I, I don't have to catch one, but I would love to experience that. Just like I would love to experience being on a boat that catches a thousand pound marlin. I don't necessarily right. need to be the one cranking it myself, but I would love to see a thousand pound marlin come flying out of the water. Mm-hmm. That would be incredible. And I haven't seen that either. But I'm talking, I mean, when you see those pictures of the back of that marlin that looks like it's like that wide and it's just coming out and it's got a giant tuna hanging out of its mouth, like like a tarpon with a mullet hanging out of its mouth. I mean, that is an incredible fish. And I would love to see that. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a funny question. Would you would you want to? Because I, I think that a lot of people want to catch one of those giant fish until they actually get hooked up to it. And then they're like, holy cow, how long is this going to take? That was like me with swordfish. Yeah. It was great until we actually got on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I would love to see one of those fish. Oh, yeah. And that's a really incredible thing they have going on at Prince Edward Island. That, a thousand pounds that, is average size? No. I, I think a thousand pounds is, is possible. But I think when you saw one, you would think that's a thousand pound fish and it might be a 300 pound fish. I don't know. I've never been there. I would like to go. I'd like to see it. I was kind of disappointed that the whole thing fell apart. Have you ever fished for rainbow trout in Tennessee? Have you? I have. You have? Um, I have. I'm not going to say where, but I have. You're not going to say where? No, you can't tell anybody where you fish. I fish the Hiawassee River. Like what are you talking about? I, I I have a little uh, a little little place, a little something specialist right on the border. Okay, right on the Georgia line. Yeah, it's kind of nice. 
All right. Well, maybe you can take Jacob Blandon 11. So Jacob Blandon, hit me up, buddy. Jake, All right. Jacob Blandon. I, I follow 11. that guy. I don't know who And, is. dude, he catches some fish. Does he really? Yeah, he does. Is he in Tennessee? Yes. Well, I believe he nice. is. That's good stuff. I, I follow him. He's one of the people that followed me, and I followed him back. All right. My friend uh, JJ there. What's the diameter of your calves? <laughs> Jesus. Are you serious? I don't know. He's I doing got, calf raises I got actually right now. I stopped in the airport. Um, <laughs> I was wearing shorts. He can't wear skinny jeans. Put I, it that way. I can't <laughs> wear skinny jeans. But I was wearing shorts. This is a true story. Wearing shorts. And I go through, take my shoes off, go through. And the dude, TSA agent, he looked like he trained. He looked like he was pretty strong. He trained. And uh, he looked at me. And then he looked down at my legs. And then he looked back up at me. And he goes, He must work uh, out. Turn around and turn around and look at that screen. And there were two two yellow boxes right here. Like this is where you're supposed to feel them, you know, tap them down. But I was wearing shorts. And he goes, "Pretty sure it's just your calves, but I got to feel them anyway." Uh, that's- I was like, "Okay, <laughs> all right." So anyway, yeah, you get- they're my calves. I don't know what the diameter of them is, but it's big enough to set off the the, the thing at TSA. Man size. Yeah. Man size calf. What's one oh here's a good one. What's one piece of advice for an aspiring guide in Southwest Florida? Ooh. Do you have any? I, I know spent, a lot of I guides a lot in of, Southwest I do. Florida. I spent a lot of time in Naples actually. I actually call that home um a lot of the year. And um you know, I wouldn't be the one to ask, you know, to uh, about an aspiring guy there other than well, you have friends yeah. that are there. You've we seen do. them get started. I, I haven't seen the, I've seen, see, a lot of the guys see, are senior captains, you know. Yeah, a lot but of you, the guys. you see you see things where you see definitely the right way to do it versus the wrong way to do it. Right, right. And I think, um, you know, I have a young friend that is, is coming up in the industry, and his name is Cody Pierce, and he is in Fort Myers. And he is kind of, you know, reaches out to me and as well as other couple other uh, professionals that he knows and, and he kind of does, but it's a grind, you know, it's, everything's a grind, you know, it's, it's find your niche. I think that's important with any guide, uh, mm-hmm. find your niche, you know, whatever that is and, and go from what, there. When you say find your niche, you mean like, do you like fishing for snook in shallow water or do you like fly fishing or do you like, like, what is it that makes you a little bit different than other people? Right, right. I mean, you know, it's, I've been on hardcore fly fishing guides boats and they have a spinning rod on the boat you know there's nothing there's no shame um in targeting species in different ways but have your have your niche you know if you're the redfish guy if you're the snook guy if you're a big snook on fly guy if you're an everglades guy or pine island guy you know whatever it is find your niche and then be the be the best at your niche hmm. you know it's uh, or at least aspire to be the best yeah um southwest florida is a, a tough little place yeah um you know, our fishery is unique for sure, but a great fishery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Naples is incredible. Everglades, Sokolowski, Goodland. You got Pine Island there. Lifetimes of exploring back there. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I guess my advice would be um, know your way around. Catch bigger fish uh, than everybody else. Well, <laughs> know your way around. Make sure make sure wherever you go, you can get back to where you started. I fish with guides that go headfirst in the Everglades with no electronics. But, you know, at the same time, they've been doing it for 25, 30 well, years, you know, and then, that, but at the, if they fall overboard, I'm screwed. But, yeah. you know, but that's, you know, that's the type of skill set level that you're dealing with down there. The guys that have been, that's their water, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're young, like any 
thing. You know, respect your elders, respect your uh, senior captains, and they'll embrace you, I think, more than they will fight you. Mm-hmm. And I think being embraced by the by the community, especially if you're trying to be part of the community, is important. Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, on a technical aspect, that's that's certainly good advice. Technical aspect, you're you're in a place where the navigation is incredibly difficult and just because you're an aspiring guide doesn't necessarily mean you don't know your way around. So I don't want to imply that, that you don't know your way around, but probably don't know your way around as well as some of these guys that you're talking about. So I think it's always good advice to make sure that you've got plenty of backup navigational things. Like you should never be out there without a paper chart and a compass. You should never be out there relying only on your electronics because what if your battery dies? Now, you know, what What if you have something go wrong? You should always, any prudent mariner has a paper chart and a compass somewhere in their boat. And uh, just like just like you carry a flare kit, there should be a compass in there. And you should know your way around because I don't know. I mean, I may not be talking to this guy that is an aspiring guide in southwest Florida, but dude, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of getting tur- totally turned around in the backcountry in an area that you're not familiar with, or even in an area that you are pretty familiar with, but for whatever reason, you got your head down in the live well and you look up and you've drifted off a little bit and you're like, where, what, why is, where did, you know, wh- where am I? And dude, you can get turned around so fast, especially back in that Hell's Bay area or Chukaluski or mm-hmm. any of that. All it all looks the same, and you won't be able to tell the difference between north and south. Mm-hmm. And having a compass and a paper chart is super duper important. Also, a method of of uh, communicating with somebody because if you run aground or have a problem back there, big 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 problem. No cell phone service back there. Yeah. Man. So there are all these new little things. I saw this one thing. And it was about the size of a phone and it could, it was a satellite thing that would allow you to text. Mm-hmm. So you could send out, and I guess it was expensive to text. You're, you're just going to send out a text to your wife or somebody that knows where you are. Maybe you only have one number connected to it or something, but there's some line of communication. That's super important back there because I know some old keys guides that had been going back into, um, into the Hell's Bay area and all that for a long time. Get lost. Mm-hmm. So it can happen to anybody anyway. So, you know, work hard, be the first at the boat ramp and the last to leave, but make sure that you're able to get back to the, to the dock. Jack Williams, 132. Here's a, here's somebody that knows a little bit about me. Who's your favorite wrestler of all time? Oh, so there's two answers to this question. There's always two answers. Yeah. Because my favorite real wrestler of all time, Kale Sanderson. Yeah. You got to pull somebody into my nose. Yeah, well, Cale yeah. <laughs> Sanderson, Cale Sanderson went completely undefeated in college. Not only did he go undefeated, he wrestled in every match that was that he could possibly wrestle in. So that means he never was hurt, he was never sick, and he never missed a match, and he won them all. Animal. And who, then who he did he went go to college to the, for? Uh, he was at Iowa State. Oh. And uh, then he went to the Olympics. And so he's also an Olympic wrestler. But... And then Kale Sanderson, wrestler. but but then then how do you pick between Kale Sanderson and Dan Gable? 
Like, boy, that's a really, really tough one. So I'm going to say it's a tie between Kale Sanderson and Dan Gable. Then the fake wrestler. Who's my favorite fake wrestler of all time? It's the ultimate warrior. Same here. There's no chance. <laughs> there's no, there's, there's no, no debate. <laughs> it's the ultimate warrior. Absolutely. Or Superfly Snuka. Superfly Snuka. That's but funny. I'm going to say it's the ultimate warrior. It's got to be ultimate warrior. Okay. So ultimate warrior and Dan Gable. Okay. What motivates you? You go first. Oh. Oh. Hmm. God, that stumped you. I guess it's the simplest it did, question. Yeah. It was three words. I know what motivated. <laughs> well, my, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to be the cliche young father and say my daughter motivates me, but you just, any, everything motivates me. It's just, it's just life, life in general. If life doesn't motivate you, then, then change it, you know? I mean, if you, if you don't get up every day excited about your day, then figure it out, man. What motivates you? Learning. Really does. Learning about anything, fishing, hunting, fitness. Just, I'm motivated by learning. And I'll tell you what else motivates me. I get motivated by other people's motivating stories. When I see somebody that overcomes something, whether it's an athletic performance or uh, an illness or, or just, just a difficult situation, that's highly motivating for me. And somehow I can see somebody win the Olympics, and then apply that in some way, shape, or form to my life or into fishing and be like, well, if they can do it, then so can I. Okay. I got one here. One more question. Fishing unknown water, what is your go-to search bait? Mm. Do you even have a search bait? Yeah. Well full of pilchards. Well, you're... <laughs> you just start throwing them out everywhere. <laughs> You've been in the keys dude, too long. If people, if they come up... <laughs> Then there there they are. There they are. <laughs> um, well, I mean that that is that's that it. is a good that's search a good bait. answer. There's your but, search bait. Um, the search bait is going to be something that you could throw a long way, so that you can cover a lot of water. And so there are some that are better than others. I like a jerk bait that allows me to rig it differently. I can rig it if it's if it's a place where it's unknown water and you go there and there are weeds everywhere. Well, you can rig that jerk bait kind of weedless and you can move it along and then you can kind of weight it so that it'll be it'll be midwater column or you can you can kind of fish it on a jig head closer to the bottom or you can you can fish it um you know a lot of the jerk baits are are floating. I really like the ones that are like the Z-man baits that float and so you can either weight them and get them down to the bottom or you can fish them mid column or you can fish them on the surface and typically you can throw them a really really long way. And cover a lot of water. And um, so I would have to say that probably in white. In white? But watch, also, watch I mean, it depends on what you're, what you're fishing for. Like if it's a redfish search bait, I'm going gold spoon all day long. All day. But, you know, if it's kind of we might come across a big laid up tarpon in here and there might also be some, you know, other fish in here, trout or we might be looking for jacks or I don't know. We can pull up to a channel. And it's like, man, we, we just want to bend the rod. The weather's not that good. I'm going jerk bait, and you might catch a tarpon on it. You might catch a sea trout on it. There's your Never answer. Know. There's okay. your answer, Jamie Eatman the third. You down for some hunting in South Texas for whitetails? Hell yeah, yeah, man. Hell I'd yeah, show us where they're at. That'd be that'd be really fun. I actually have never been to um, to hunt in South Texas. I've been to South Texas. I like the area. I like that uh, hill country area. I love the music there. I love the culture. Uh, big Jerry Jeff Walker, Robert Earl Keane fan, of course Willie Nelson. You got you got that whole hill country, and that hill country is supposed to have some 
really awesome hunting. And it's also supposed to have some really incredible ranches, including the one that I went to that has all this exotic game on it. Mm -hmm. So I would love to go there and see the whitetail hunting because I have seen the exotic game and that's somehow not as exciting to me as maybe the whitetails would be, but it's cool to look at. And I love going there and like my, my introduction to South Texas, I guess that's South Texas, right? The hill country. I mean, kind of Lukenbach. Yeah. Okay. So my introduction to Lukenbach, whether or not that fits the definition of South Texas <laughs> was that I went to, um, my parents said, would you like to go on this trip with us? And I was a young man and I didn't have anything going on. And I was like, I don't know, go on a trip with your parents. You know, it wasn't all that exciting to me, but they were like, oh, it'll be fun. You know, you don't have anything going on. Might be fun. You're going to, we're going to go visit some friends. And they, they say they have a pond and you can fish in it. And I said, got double digits. Sweet. (laughs) I didn't say, I didn't say anything, but I took a, seriously, I took a handful of bass flies and a nine foot, six weight, four piece rod with a floating line. And we get there and I'm like, where's the pond? And, uh, well, first of all, we drove down a, uh, a long, uh, road, which I found out later was their driveway. I thought it was some kind of country road that went on forever. But, you know, I've, I've heard about people in that type of area where they fly to the mailbox in their own little plane and land and check the mail and then fly back to their house. Well, I realized why that is because this person's driveway was about 15 miles long <laughs> and uh all through there we're passing all this exotic game and everything so that's cool. anyway we we pull up to what i think is the house and we're told that's the guest house and then we pull up to another house and it's much bigger and this is the main house and we get there and they look like they're making some kind of circus tent out front and uh so i asked where i might be able to go fishing and they said oh well you're going to want to get in the work truck and go over the hill. And I said, okay, well, where's the work truck? And they showed me a brand spanking new F-250 King Ranch. That's the work truck That's the that work they truck. just threw me the keys to. And so me and my dad get in that truck, and this is a long time ago. My dad had a camera with real film in it, and it had to, he had two pictures on the, on the roll. And, uh, so we go over the hill, which is about another 15 miles, and we drop down, and there's a lake. But before we went, they said, nobody's caught anything in the lake. The weeds grew up. Nobody's, nobody's caught anything in there. Y'all can go fish in there if you want, but nobody's caught anything there in months. So I was like, nobody's fished this thing in months. It's going to be pretty good. It's going to be pretty good. So we go over the hill. We get in this little tiny little two-man bass tracker with a trolling motor on it. You know, with my polarized glasses, I can see that the weeds are straight up to the surface of the water. But then there would be these these little hollowed out places where it was a little, little deeper. And so I was like, well, we can't get a fly through there. Can't get a fly. So just, let's just go over there and I'll just throw across that hole. And I'd bring this little, little fly over the top, you know, like a deer hair, uh, spun deer hair with some feathers off the back. Nothing fancy. It mm-hmm. didn't even look like a, look like a minnow, not, not a frog. Mm-hmm. So I bring it from the weeds into that deeper area. five pounder biggest bass i'd ever caught and uh so i'm like take a picture dad take a picture and uh he takes a picture he throws over there he gets one and i'm like here let me take a picture of it he says no 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 we better save this last picture and i said okay 
And so he lets it go. I throw to the next. We keep moving to these holes. There are holes all over the place. And it was so exciting because I could look out there and I was like, oh my God, I've got this whole pattern. And it's endless. As far as we can see, there are these little little depression, these little depression holes. And everyone we went to, we'd catch two or three fish off of it. Nice. And I caught one that was about eight. And I was like, this is it. This he goes, man, I think you ought to wait. So I let that one go. Really? And then I go down a little bit further and I throw over there. And sure enough, biggest bass I had ever caught until I met Graham Taylor. I caught a nine and a quarter pound largemouth on fly. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then, get this. And then I'm so excited. We get the boat back, put it up, get back in the work truck. Go to the place. And by now, that little tent that I saw that they were erecting in the yard is now a full-on circus tent. And they're like, yeah, we're having a party tonight. Y'all go get cleaned up. And so we come back, and Jerry Jeff Walker is playing in this little circus tent, a private party in the hill country. And I caught a a, a nine-and-a-quarter-pound largemouth bass. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. In Texas. That's Texas, buddy. Yeah, so that's... And I can only imagine that if you go down hunting there, that you would have a similar experience. Uh, what's the biggest tarpon you've caught? Probably close to 100. Hmm. Yeah. It's cute. It's cute. Uh, I tried to get one big one with you, but we think we missed it. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's all fly, man. We, what are you talking we, about? Uh, Conventional, I've hooked did, some big ones. We but did it, miss it. Um, I have caught some big ones myself, but the person who's caught the very biggest is um, there was a, a, a fly shop out west called Kaufman Streamborn. Do you know Kaufman Streamborn? I've heard the name. Lance Kaufman, mm-hmm. uh, Randall Kaufman wrote a bunch of books um, on fly tying and bone fishing and all kinds of stuff. Uh, a real uh, contributor to the to the industry and, and he is a um, phenomenal fisherman. His brother, Lance, used to come down and fish with me and Lance was supposed to leave on this day and we had had a pretty good week but I took him to this place west of Key West and he was supposed to leave at like I don't know, three. This is before 9-11. And so there was no issue with security at the airports or anything like that. So about one o'clock, I see a really nice tarpon. And I tell Lance where it is. He makes a beautiful cast to it. He hooks it and he brings it in. It's the biggest one I've ever had anyone, on conventional or spin. This fish uh, taped out at over 200 pounds. And and he's like, I'm going to miss my flight. I'm going to miss my flight. And so we let that fish go and took off the throttle to the floor the whole way. And I took him right around the front side of Key West and let him off on the road. And he jumped the, the thing, ran across the road, ran into the airport, <laughs> got on his plane. <laughs> Man, well, that's, that, well, that's how it's supposed to be when you catch a fish. Well, like that. it would never happen <laughs> now because you could, you can't do that. I mean, you can't just run into the airport. I mean, it was, it was bad. I mean, like he, he just ran in, just went. I mean, like there wasn't even security, hardly. I mean, they're like, oh, What's make your sure you don't snow? have any knives. Uh, you know, uh, the ones I caught with, uh, with Ryan Nitz. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, those things. Well, I also went fishing with Matt Budd. Yeah. So East if you Coast. fish in that Jupiter area, yeah. that's where the biggest snook that I've ever seen are. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some bigger ones somewhere else. But Matt Budd took me to the uh, Jupiter Inlet, and I got to experience that with my son Hayden. And we caught a bunch of whoppers. I mean, real as big as they get. I don't know. I don't know how big they get, but, but as big as they get. 
then, you know, fishing in the backcountry with Ryan, those were really good. So, I mean, both, any of my biggest snook have come from either Ryan Nitz or Matt Budd and all in that Jupiter area. That place is just unbelievable. Ooh, this is a good one. Tips on if I want to make fishing my career and possibly be a guide. What do you say? Because I'm going to look for this other question that's really designed for you. Okay. So the question was. Tips on if I want to make fishing my career and possibly be a guide. I'm not going to. I'll just tell you how I did. I moved into it slowly. You know, I have a, I have a day job and I have day jobs and, and I moved into it slowly. And actually the day job is actually what funded a lot of me. Uh, growing uh, my brand. I'm not not the type of person that put my, all my eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. So, And I think that's important with business, especially as uh, being self-employed and entrepreneur. You need multiple lines of revenue. And just in case if something ever does dry up, I mean, what if you put all your eggs in one basket and all of a sudden you have horrible weather your entire season? You know, your entire money-making season's gone, no matter whether you're a tuna captain or you're a trout captain, trout yeah. guy, you know, so... Um, so that allowed me to kind of grow, you know, and not have to stress about, um, you know, the real life worries, feeding families and health insurance and things like that. Um, you know, so that helped. And then, of course, you know, um, if you're going to do it, do it. Go 100%. Be passionate. You know, if your favorite thing in the world is targeting carp, then do your thing. You know, that's your thing. If your favorite thing in the world is targeting sea trout, mm-hmm. then make that your thing. I don't know. I think I think maybe the ways that you had become a professional guide are different than ways maybe people do nowadays. Um, I think, but with yeah, you, but so there, there's some things that hold hold true, and that is you have to develop respect from the other guides, mm-hmm. and that usually comes down to hard work on the water. And so there's a fine line between being really good at social media and being really good at making sure your website looks super sweet and making sure that it that it you know the SEO is is nice and you're going to get uh when somebody googles you know fishing in your area your website's going to be the first to to pop up that's certainly a, a a part of it but the biggest part i think is just is just developing the respect from the other guides and anglers in the area and that is through your etiquette on the water your etiquette at the boat ramp, the way that you handle yourself, the way that you treat your customers, you know, just be professional and, and be professional with the other people and, and never forget that your number one source of trips will be from other guides. So if you are somebody that, you know, maybe might be a hothead at the ramp or something and or I don't know, just just always remember, man, those people that were there before you, they they know some stuff. You might have a good day today, but just be respectful. Always be respectful. So here's the one. It says, is the new wave of streamer-only junkies negatively affecting fly fishing? No. Why would that, uh, why would that affect uh, fly fishing? I don't know. Luke, Luke thinks it might. Let's He's see. asking. Is the new wave of streamer-only junkies negatively affecting fly fishing? I actually enjoy streamer fishing. Well, yeah, but he's saying that there's <laughs> there's some people now that are only streamer fishing. Right, and that's fine. I mean, that's uh, who's to say that one way is better? Right. I mean, that's, I think that's what I think what how fly fishing has evolved. I think that there's so many different ways of targeting fish with a fly rod, with glass, with bamboo, with graphite, with silk lines, with poly lines, with... You know, it's just, I think I personally 
I wish I could do more streamer fishing. Yeah. Um, I think you could, you could ask the same question. Um, I don't know. I don't think that it negatively affects, ne- negatively affects fly fishing, but I think that it would be good for everyone to understand. Fly. Well, well, I mean, just, just understand it. Like, like does, does a wave of, of dry fly only anglers negatively affect fly fishing it does if they're if they're a bunch of elitist mm-hmm. people that have a poor attitude and 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 make it to where other people that are around them are like well if that's fly fishing i don't want any part of that because those guys are a bunch of jackasses so you could say the same thing about streamer guys or nymph guys or whatever i think that you know for the for you know to really truly enjoy fly fishing you should be able to do it all yeah streamers nymphs you know, all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I have never seen it negatively affect fly fishing, but maybe it is on his river maybe it or is. something. Maybe, it maybe, is. maybe they're share, share more with us there, Luke. Uh, yeah. yeah. What do you attribute your success to? Uh, hard work. How do you, we're going to have to, we're going to have to rapid fire some of these. <laughs> How do you manage everything? Family work, hobbies, et cetera. That is actually the most difficult <laughs> thing in my life. And what we've been talking about for an hour or so, um, because it's really hard to manage all of that. It it really is. It's hard to to have goals in your life that you want to accomplish and also have goals in your family that you want to accomplish. You want to spend as much time as you can possibly spend with your family, but you have to balance that with being able to work really hard. And so I think that it 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 involves a lot of communication with your spouse and your family, your business partners and and everything to try to find that area where you're, you know, the sweet spot and, and you're not always going to find it. You're going to, you're going to go a couple of weeks and you're going to be like, Whoa, business is suffering a little bit or worse. Wow. Family's suffering a little bit. I'm going to have to back off a little bit or after this trip, I'm going to have to be at home for a little bit, you know, and, and make sure that, that everything's there. But, but, you know, it's not a, there's not an answer to that that I can say really quickly. I think that that is a fluctuating thing that that's going on all the time with that balance of family and and work. Uh, what's your go-to weight for an all-around fly rod inshore and schoolies offshore? So I'm sure he's talking about saltwater. I have a very easy uh, answer to that. That's ten weight for me. What's yours? Nine weight. Yours is a nine. I just like nine weight. I like a seven and a nine. So I think seven, I think the five weight is the most uh, Mm -hmm. versatile uh, freshwater rod and the 10 weight is the most versatile saltwater rod. I agree. Um, But, you know, nine. Well, some of them are heavy. Some of them are light, you know. Right. Right. Let's see here. As years pass, oh, Peter DeSuri. Peter DeSuri is um, uh, a guy that used to fish in Key West all the time and then he became a a rabid crossfitter and now he's traveling the world teaching and i think he went to the games last year good job peter as years pass how had your relationship with your prey changed do you chase trophy or moments oh it's a deep question we could do a whole podcast on that i think i chase moments i can really say that there have been some fish that are quite small and unimpressive that I consider to be more of a trophy than some real giants. Mm-hmm. So, and really, there are days 
where I have taken my kids fishing where we've caught nothing. Right. And they are my favorite days that I've ever been on the water. So definitely moments. And the relationship with the prey has definitely changed. I, th- I, I used to hear older people say this. He's like, I'm, I'm not as mad at him as I once was. Right? I didn't know what that meant. But, you know, when you're a young man, you just, ugh, you just can't, <laughs> can't stop. You know, you catch a hundred, you want to catch a hundred and one. Yeah, one. And there are days, there are definitely days. We did it on this last shoot. We went um, tarpon fishing and we were, uh, we happened upon a great situation. Rich caught six on, on spin. I caught six on fly. <laughs> and, you know, I just looked at him and I said, you know what? There is, there is an art and there is something to be said for leaving them biting. Yep. And they were rolling and popping all around us, and we just trolling motored out of there and started the engine and left. It's just how much? More, what more do you need? No and as as a young man, I would have stayed there and just pulverized <laughs> them into the ground. <laughs> but not not anymore. I finally figured out how I can how I can leave them biting. Leave them biting. There is definitely a, a a a. It's a good feeling. Are you going to do a freshwater striper fly fishing show soon? I know your boy Graham has it mm. dialed in. Graham definitely does have it dialed in, and uh, not just dialed in. Yeah, it doesn't fit with the um, with the format of saltwater experience. Uh, doing the show with Will was a real um, is a real strange thing that just kind of happened, and it might have happened with Graham too. But we had that hurricane, and we were um, really having a hard time kind of fishing where we normally do and we needed to get a show really fast and that fit perfectly. And I don't know, I don't see us, I don't see us doing it, but we did do a Sweetwater show, mm-hmm. went and fished with Graham and they had a very productive show. Will you be making a guest appearance on Into the Blue this season? Well, mm-hmm. the season's not over yet, maybe, but I'm always a guest appearance behind the camera on Into the Blue. One of my favorite things to do because those guys teach me a lot. What connection not do you use on permit leaders from class to tippet? So class meaning if you were trying to set a world record, that's that's your that's your tippet that that counts. So if you say you caught a fish on twelve pound, you could put a uh, a heavier shock tippet on the front of that. Now, I don't do that on permit leaders. I would possibly think about doing that if I was trying to fish like two pound or four pound. I would use a use a shock tippet because the IGFA says it's legal and why not? You know, that's just, that's probably the place where you're going to get some abrasion. So might as well do that. But I don't typically use a uh, shock tippet on my permit leaders, but if I were to do that, I would probably just use a um, either a Slim Beauty, depending on the difference in the size of the line, or a two-turn blood knot. Are Bonita fish big? <laughs> you don't watch a lot of movies, do you? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, we're really close. What's your technique when you can't get Dolphin behind the boat to eat? Chum heavy. You know, there are those dolphin, it happens with dolphin and it happens with cobia. And sometimes they get in there and they just don't eat. So 
I don't know, live bait, the freshest live bait you can possibly have is often the the solution and certainly what the end of the blue guys are reaching for immediately. If there's a fish behind the boat that won't eat, they're going for the freshest bait that they can't catch with their hand. It's definitely catching it with a net and using a smaller hook and lighter line. But that's what I would say also. So we really, we really blew right through these, uh, these questions and there were some really good ones, man. And again, this all happens because of Instagram, mm-hmm. my favorite social media. Oh, where's location X? Can't tell you. I got one of those questions too. I figured we could answer that. I can't answer it. I signed a non-disclosure agreement and I won't break it. Can't do it. Plus somebody might burn my boat if I did. I don't know. <laughs> What's the single most important thing that you've learned fishing inshore that made each day more productive. Do you have an answer? That's a good one to close on. Hmm. You have to enjoy your time on the water, no matter what you're doing. That makes it more productive. Yeah, that's what yeah. you say when you don't catch anything. That's that's that's. I mean, most people don't catch anything. Oh, <laughs> that's when you take a picture of the sunset. Yeah. When you see guys taking, you know, posting pictures of like bridges and things, uh-huh. they didn't catch shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I've taken plenty of pictures that's of bridges. So <laughs> Um, so I guess be more productive. I don't know. Plan better, you know, have a game plan. Well, yeah, but you you have to learn some information before you can even get to the game plan. Sure. Sure. So I would say learning, well, in the Florida Keys, there's a tide difference between the, between the, um, between the ocean side and the back country, there's a tidal difference. So it might be low on the ocean at eight o'clock in the morning and that same low tide might not reach the back country or will not reach the back country for four hours later. So the tide in the back country is four hours later than the ocean side. So if it's low on the ocean at eight, it's going to be low in the back country at 12. Then each little place, even hundreds of yards apart, can be 30 minutes to an hour either earlier or later than that place. So first of all, it's gotten a lot easier because there are published charts of where these tide stations are and you can you can check it out and even on the Lorance GPS there you can you know search the nearest tide station and you can see where you are but kind of memorizing like the difference between oceanside and where you are and then how that works with where you are so for instance if you're in Jewfish Basin in the Florida Keys, which is close to Key West, and then you travel east to the Content Keys, the tide's going to be about an hour later in the Content Keys than it was in Jewfish Basin. So you could run to the backcountry and try to catch the first of the incoming tide at Jewfish Basin. Of course, you hit the first of the incoming tide on the ocean side that morning, right? And then you run and you hit it in the backcountry. And then you stay there for 30 minutes and you say, okay, we're going to take off because it's not really that good right here. We're going we're gonna to run for 30 minutes and we're going to hit the first of the incoming tide again. And so really knowing those tidal differences and being able to kind of forecast that, that definitely makes the day more productive because you can kind of find, find the fish on, on different tides by moving around. Uh, but you do have to know your way around. Okay, so... That's going to be it for today, I think. So, Will, thanks for coming, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. We were probably, you were, you were planning on telling me your life story, <laughs> but we just answered questions. 
That's, so, that's even better. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it again. So Will came here actually today because he just launched his own podcast, or he's recording some, and they're gonna. He asked me to be on it, so I was thrilled and honored to be on it. Tell them how they can find your podcast. Well, it's not uh, published just yet, but uh, when it is published, it'll be Will Taylor's podcast. It'll be found on iTunes and all the other platforms. And uh, as soon as it launches, I'll make an uh, announcement on social media, and, and, uh, and hopefully, you guys will make an announcement over here, and we'll hopefully have some some uh, feedback on. Okay. And for the people that were on the uh, Instagram live, and I cut off, I had to look at these other questions. So I'm really sorry if I cut you off. We'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. So anyway. Thanks for all the questions, guys. I hope we answered them the way that was helpful to you. If you have any other questions or we didn't get to yours, you can hit me up at podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Until next week, we'll see you.